This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. Today I have with me Ian Pieperbrock. Oh, dude, that you butchered that. How do I say it in the, the Dutch? It's Ian Pieperbrock. Pieperbrock. Ah, come on, man. Fucking Dutch Stop breaking people. my balls right away. I mean, you lived in the Netherlands, so you of all people. I know. Yeah. Yeah, except when you live in the Netherlands, the Dutch people won't talk to you or, or interact with you in any way. So there's no way for you to learn the language. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to make up for that. Yeah, you're, you are definitely like the nicest Dutch person I've ever met. I don't know why. You're like a very American-style Dutch. That's what you get when you get influenced by... Uh... By all of these yanks that, that we saw on the television when we were growing up. Yeah. American uh, movies, American music, rap music. Yeah. And then, uh, no, but uh, I'm happy to be on the pod, man. You know, I'm a fan of yours, right? Yeah, dude. Well, we, so uh, let's introduce you. So um, you run a, also a branding agency, marketing agency in the Netherlands that focuses on industrial brands, meaning like manufacturing. And your videos are very cool that you do like great uh, videos inside the factories, which I've done a little bit of recently too. And I find it just so fascinating. So why don't you uh, introduce yourself and your business and yeah. What, sure. what you do. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, correct. I mean, I'm the co-founder of Gobsmack Creative Agency and Gobsmack Video. We kind of separated it in, into two labels. Uh, so what we are is a creative agency. We do brand strategy. Uh, we do creative concept development. And um, and we do a lot of content creation on subscription basis as well, on a membership basis. And then we have the video label. And it's quite interesting to start there. So we started out somewhere in 2014, I would say, as a video agency. Back when YouTube was sort of blowing up and was, was the go-to platform. Uh, I met my associate at a, an agency that we worked together for about a year. He had a video background, audiovisual background. I have a marketing background, a copywriting background. And uh, we decided to basically, long story short, team up and start creating uh, very dull corporate videos in the beginning because that was just the model. It was a novelty still for a lot of uh, brands. And um, we just jumped into that. So we made corporate videos. We had a package for that where you have one shoot day, you have this, you have that, you have an edit of a certain amount of minutes. And then we would upload that. We would create a YouTube channel, brand the YouTube channel. It was all very, very basic stuff. But around that time, it was still quite new, especially for B2B slash industrial. Um, so we just started churning out videos as many as we could. Uh, no money. Uh, the first year was just peanut butter and... Uh, you know, old brat, there's no, no joke. And we had no idea how to even run a business. We were just churning out videos. And then slowly but surely, you know, we got better. Uh, I tried to put in my creative ideas. I've always been quite a conceptual uh, kind of dude. So trying to put in nice things to make, you know, seemingly very boring environments such as 
factories yeah. uh, more sexy. And then, you know, slowly but surely, we got quite good at that. And we landed our first, uh, you know, really big corporate client, uh, which is an American client, actually, uh, called Heister. It's a brand called Heister. And uh, they are one of the largest producers of, uh, of forklifts and big trucks. Their EMEA Big Trick division is in the Netherlands, in the city where we used to, uh, where we lived. And, um, you know, and that is where we really got into the, the passion for making industrial brands come alive. And, um, you know, fast forward, we started growing and we started also emphasizing more the conceptual part of the productions. Uh, but, you know, it happened to be like this. Um, we would come up with a great creative concept and you know how much of a, you know how what a valuable piece of uh, of material that can be because you can fill up all your funnels you know based on a single overarching theme the problem was that we would create these very cool themes and these tag lines and we could only do the video and then we saw all these other agencies you know basically take our concept and run with it and make other con uh, content with it we were very inexperienced so yeah. fast forward uh, we decided to embrace the creative agency model where we would still do a lot of video, but also uh, started working on, uh, you know, creative concepts, camping concepts, etc. And uh, so now here we are 2023, uh, Gobsmack creative agency, Gobsmack video, and yes, entirely focused on industrial brands. And the reason, uh, I mean, th there's a deeper reason uh, for it, to be honest. Just tell me if, uh, if the introduction is too long, Isaac, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> No, no. Uh, it, well, okay. So there's several things I want to talk about here. One is uh, just, you know, being inside factories and like doing marketing for factories is actually something really fascinating and really cool. Yeah. Um, but we don't have to get into that now. What I what I think we should really talk about is a, is a very key part of uh, the marketing landscape, which is your love of black women. So do you think do you think that, uh, that that's related to your uh, asshole, Dutch man. heritage or <laughs> no, we were just talking about this before before yeah, we, we came we on here. And we wanted that. to make this interesting, not like a stupid I, I, Isaac, no. Isaac, I, nobody, nobody <laughs> has ever fought for diversity harder than I. <laughs> so, you know, I'm very proud of that. You know, uh, you know, I've been on the forefront before everybody was talking about woke and diversity and inclusion. I was in the trenches, man. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I'm very proud of that. No, but, you know, all jokes aside, that's one point I, I want to make about Gobsmack. Uh, and that is that it's very current. That's why I want to make the point and then you can start, you know, continue breaking my balls again. Breaking your balls. About okay. watermelons and all of so, 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 so what, what we believe is that um, the industrialization has been the most important development, you know, um, for, for, uh, for human flourishing, for, for human prosperity, you know, it's just when you look at, you know, the industrialization and, and all that it did, the net positive effect it had on humanity is just incredible. And so, um, you know, it, it, and and it it get often it gets overshadowed, of course, by the current themes. You know, especially sustainability, the the, the net zero agenda, which I'm sure we will talk about maybe later on. But that sort of uh, reinvigorated our commitment to to building strong industrial brands, basically, because yeah. we believe that a strong industrial base is you know is crucial for people to flourish. And Europe is particularly interesting. 
we have a big problem here, like a huge one. Uh, within the decade, uh, we will have a, a very big problem. So, so that kind of, how do you say that? Well, what, I mean, what, so what's the problem? The problem is deindustrialization. Yeah, and it has multiple uh, multiple causes. So one is one is demographics. So yeah, less. I mean, less we have the same problem. It's the same problem in the entire West, right? I mean, it's the same thing. It, it is to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, there are differences, but yeah, largely you could say that. However, in America, there's an interesting thing going on. I can I can shed some light on that as well. But so historically, Germany has always been the uh, industrial base of Europe, sort of the engine of of industrialization. And uh, what people don't understand is that that Germany is crumbling, and there's multiple there's actually there's multiple reasons for that. First, demographics, which is indeed a Western world problem and an Asian problem, but also a Western world problem. Not enough babies are being born, and uh, if you have uh, too little humans to produce and consume, uh, then you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a collapsing, uh, you know, uh, demographic pyramid. So. Then the second problem is that of the children that are still being born, less and less choose to, to, to go for technical professions because in the West, we had a knowledge economy. And as I was told in my childhood as well, implicitly, you know, going for a sort of manual labor type of profession is somehow subpar, which, which is something I, I disagree with uh, completely right now. But uh, that is also uh, sort of a cause of, uh, of this. And then, of course, the, the highly restrictive policies when it comes to uh, to fossil fuels are are currently sort of breaking uh, Europe's industrial base, uh, with Germany as the prime example. So um, that's why we believe that it's extremely important. So we can't really influence policy or politics. Neither do I want to. It's very, it's all seems very depressing to me to to get involved in all of that. But what we can do is, you know, try to build industrial brands that inspire the next generations and you know spark curiosity for for technical professions for for technology innovation and so so that is kind of the sort of the why behind you know the gobsmacked brand that that we really you know cultivated uh, over the years it's super important to have strong industrial brands in europe um for the next generations and for human flourishing so that kind of that is human kind of the yeah that's yeah, one definitely. of those like buzzwords, like human flourishing. You know, I don't like, care, uh, man. Like human flourishing. Yeah, uh, well, I wish it was a buzzword. I mean, it's only a buzzword in the circles that we might that we might uh, frequent. But you know, do you think it's a buzzword? Yeah, the human flourishing. Uh definitely. But yeah. but but by whom? Well, because think about. It. I mean, who's like for for the people who are now making all this, this stuff they're flourishing right i mean it's just a matter of, like china is flourishing you know i mean not right now because they're having like a, they're having like a real estate problem now but uh and a demographic but, one a big one much bigger than europe even really yeah 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 china will probably be gone be, within the decade is my prediction Really? Gone as a, as a meaningful or a significant industrial power. That's just uh, it's completely unsustainable, and it's and it's it's past the point of no return, man. Well, why I mean, do you say that? Because the demographics of China are a disaster. They are a complete disaster. I mean, mean I would, what? Like how? Uh, fertility rate is uh, is is terrible. If you look at the the demographic pyramid of of China, that is that is just that they already passed the point of no return. 
it is impossible for China to to play to to do a catch up on on sort of the the, the demographic distribution to to have sort of a, a healthy uh, a healthy economy and you know um, the thing is if you don't have enough young people to produce and consume then literally you know literally when the, the, the foot of a pyramid has a very small base at some point it will collapse under its own weight well weight. right but that's happening everywhere right i mean that's pretty much everywhere has that same problem yeah okay? uh well there are definitely differences but america is a very interesting one uh, you know that, that's a nice bridge to the united states because what the united states have been doing recently well it started under trump but actually, in, in in the in the current administration, they are even doubling down on that. They're they are onshoring again, so they are they are sort of reshoring manufacturing, like at a, at a, at a at a blistering pace, I must say, and um, and that is going quite well. But they also have a problem that is not enough workers, not enough capacity. So that is why Mexico will play a very important role in sort of the, the the onshoring or the reshoring of, of U.S. manufacturing. So I, I think that the the U.S., if they sort of carry on with this these policies, are, will be in quite good shape compared to, for example, uh, Europe and, uh, and China. I think actually that it doesn't look too bad. Uh, so I should I should move to uh, to the States, uh, actually, and uh, continue my agency there, I think. You definitely should. We should combine forces. So anyway, back to black women. Uh, can you talk about your <laughs> your love of black women, please? Yeah, sure. That's what do you we want to talk about before? What What do you want to know about uh, about black girl magic? I don't know. So why? What? Where did your uh, your jungle fever begin, and how? Well, dude, I mean. I have to sort of nuance it a little bit. It is not a love of black women. It is love of all women. Uh, and, okay. and you know, God created so many beautiful, beautiful things. And you know, who are we not to not to appreciate that? And uh, no, I mean, in, in all honesty, man. I mean, look, uh, I know you you have been busting my balls a little bit with the jungle fever thing, but yeah, man. Uh, I mean, uh, I I I don't discriminate at all. No, no. So uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I but you don't have a preference for black women. It's just. I mean, look, I definitely have a weak spot, but, you know, that also goes for, for, for Arabic, <laughs> for Arabic women and, uh, oh. and, and, and uh, you know, uh, Latina. So, uh, but definitely, yeah, the more ethnic, ethnic flavors. Uh, yeah, that's definitely something I enjoy. Yeah. So, so why are you such a swarthy Dutchman? Like you're, you're very dark for a Dutch for a Dutchman, why are you so dark? Right, I, I think that's because I have uh, I have Greek blood in my uh, you know, running through my veins. Yeah, you know, and that's why I was so offended by the Greek towel boy meme that was <laughs> found in our in our group chat. I mean, uh, so um, yeah, no, I I have a bit of a dark complexion, probably because of my Mediterranean uh, heritage. Although Greeks are not necessarily that that dark. Um, you know they are they're actually pretty pretty light but they do have some sort of dark complexion under the surface or something i don't know but if you want if that was a compliment isaac then thank you thank you i mean definitely uh, a compliment definitely a compliment yeah. no uh so did the dutch uh look down upon you before because that were you like made fun of as a kid by the aryans <laughs> 
Yeah, totally, man. I, I always felt, uh, you know, they were pretty racist, actually. Yeah. Really? No, no not no. at all. Yeah. Uh, not at all, man. Not at all. <laughs> you have you have such a typical yank yank view of, you know, and you you left here for crying out loud. But okay, man. But you have such a yank view on on Europe. You know what? Let me tell you a funny story, and she'll love hearing this. So I was in in June or something of this year. I was on a on a short trip to Portugal, and I was just exploring Lisbon. I was supposed to meet up with friends later, but the first weekend I was just solo in Lisbon. And I met this really, really nice girl. Uh, she's actually uh, from Mexican descent, but she lives in Texas. Really, really cute, really fun girl from, from the States. And she, well, Americans have this thing where they say Europe. And Europe is everything. It doesn't matter if you're in Sweden or in Spain. Everything is Europe. I'm in Europe. I'm in Europe. Chilling, the Europe way. You know, and I made fun of her the whole time. Because she thought Europe was just a country or something and it were all provinces. So how do you look at that? I mean, I know you're more cultured and you are more, you're well-traveled. You're very sophisticated, Isaac. Very, but very Yeah. Yeah. But uh, how do I view Europe? Europe. Like Europe as a whole. Well, I, so the thing is like, I know what you're saying, but. It is true that Western Europe in particular has a certain like vibe to it. You know, it's not really like that. Go. Dif- it's not that different from each other. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it is, but it, it is because it, the language is different. The food is different. The attitudes are different. I mean, obviously, like England is way more different than Spain than, you know, Illinois is from Louisiana and they're the same distance away, basically. Right. Right. So, so, you know, the the culture is much more differentiated for sure, but at the same time, there is a Western European like consistency. It's like the town square is always, you know, it always is the old city. Right. And and there's a bunch of stupid shopping, just like anywhere else. There's a bunch of Zara stores and like lame fucking like cafes that are like out on the street. And it's like overpriced coffee. And you sit there and like, look at people, you know, I mean, they all have that. Well, you know, I mean, I think you're, you're right, but I think you're conflating a couple of things. So what you said about the town square and and all of that, yeah, that's true. But I love uh, European classical architecture for yeah me of course of course no it's much better world. than america much better yeah but yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean america is basically just sort of a, a, a you know a diluted version of uh of sort of a, a mix of uh, of cultures it's very yeah right yeah. it's you don't really have a culture no i mean particularly la i mean la is the worst offender in, in this period i mean everything here is a replica of a something else and it's all mushed together in this very disgusting way i mean where i live in pasadena is actually so the rightful architecture of los angeles the really beautiful stuff here is art deco right you know and like we have a few art deco buildings here that you would never see in europe you know like really really beautiful interesting stuff and that's what everything should have been here and you even see like there are some neighborhoods where everything is like even like vaguely replica art deco yeah, uh, like the CVS will like look like or the drugstore will look like a art deco building. And like they're clearly trying to do a thing, but then there's just no consistency. So it all falls apart. And it's like nobody thinks of L.A. as like an art deco destination. 
you know, but would they should, they should. Yeah, I, I got you. Yeah. Our deco is pretty cool, right? It's awesome. It's great. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to have like, you know, once we, uh, secure the ethno state it'll just be a full <laughs> art deco only art deco yeah how are we on that can you give me a status update because i, I, I lost i'm not allowed in the ethno state man i'm a fucking you know my mom i'm a jew i at the ethno state i'm out i'm out of the ethno yeah. state so yeah. I'm, I'm expecting an invoice after this uh, after that episode <laughs> even though i'm your guest you're probably charging you probably bill me right yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you money grabbing jew yeah you, you have the you know it's a zoom fee you don't know about the zoom fee for the <laughs> that a jewish thing as well who owns zoom i want to know the, the work the cheapest jew i've ever met in my entire life the worst like the jewiest jew was a dutch jew and the dutch are already cheap and then a dutch jew oh my god it's the worst the worst of both worlds that's that's a fun that's a fun fact right the dutch are cheap I guess that's true. You know, the Dutch oh, way. Oh, right? that is so true, dude. Yeah, they are I, the but, cheapest fucking people in the world. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I, I am the complete opposite of it. So yeah. uh, whenever I uh, whenever I sort of, uh, you know, was dating a girl from abroad, no matter where she was from, but from like a different culture, that was always one of the first things they they sort of said. So isn't it like that when you go on a date with a Dutch guy that, that you split the bill? Yeah, well, going Dutch. Yeah, it's called going Dutch. Yeah, I know. Well, you call it like that. We, we don't have the same expression. <laughs> you could say going on a date. Yeah, but but I, but but I, but I, I always said yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah, no, we always split the bill. That's common custom here. So please don't disrespect my my culture. And then so from then on out, we always split the bill. No, that's not true. No, I, I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I I I was always very generous. You know, whether yeah. it was with friends or, uh, or or with women and. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I guess it's true. Yeah, we have kind of that mentality, which is also something that brought us a lot of uh, wealth, uh, you know, and uh, economic uh, prosperity. Uh, if I would have been in this podcast with someone else, they would have said, no, it's because of colonialism. <laughs> right. You know, but um, listen, man, let's 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 I, I just want to, uh, you know, uh, give you some words, share some words of appreciation for you, man, because you know how we met. Right. We met on Twitter, which is now X. And the the, the reason I, 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 I noticed you was that piece that you wrote like a couple of years ago about the vibe ship. Uh, yeah, right. Yep. That's, that was kind of your uh, that was a, a good moment for you as well. Right. It got quite some exposure if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it did. The, the, it definitely did. That was like the first, you know, so basically my story is about, it, God, it's still almost basically a year ago, not even that. Eh, no, I guess it's like, yeah, over a year ago, I decided to just, you know, go full out in terms of, yeah. um, you know, being outspoken and I, I, you know, I don't know how it is in the Netherlands. It probably, you know, it's actually funny. The first agency I ever worked at, seventy two and Sunny, they have an office in in Amsterdam. Right. That was like where their other other office was. And so, what happened with me is I've told the story eighty billion times, but I'll tell it again really quickly. I got into advertising at seventy two in 2013, 2014. and um. That was the time in everything, in advertising and in journalism and everything. I mark that. That was like when things started changing. People say Gamergate was like a big part of it. That happened in 2014, 2013. I have my own like thinking of why it was that year. But 
that was the year when you started to see the longhouse really take over. Like it stopped being. Can you explain the longhouse? Well, people who are listening, it's my show, so they already know what the longhouse is. They don't need me. They don't need to be to explain it because anybody listening to this knows what it is. But, but, uh, you know, um, that was when it started to be like when I first got into writing for Vice or LA Weekly and for for big time advertising. It was like those years were still the years where it was like there was a lot of women. HR was powerful, but it was like it was like a slap on the wrist. You know, if, if you said something bad, if you like said something, you know, asked out your coworker or like got a little too drunk, like you would go, you know, you'd get like a, a talking to, you know. Right. But it was still like it was still wild. Like it was like 72 and sunny in those days was crazy, dude. It was like drugs and sex and like, like the hottest girls you've ever seen in your entire life. And like crazy, like events and parties. And, uh, it was still like wild and crazy, like fun. But by, by 2016, by two years later, it was all, it was done. And then Trump, forget it. I mean, after Trump, it was just completely over. And and there was no more ability to be like, boys will be boys. That, that was all over. You know, it was all done. And Absolutely. so I, I kind of like languished around in both industries, in both journalism and marketing and branding, working for other people, having some success. Uh, yeah, you know, I was I was definitely like successful. But um, it was miserable. It was fucking misery because I was constantly like, you know, what? when I use this example all the time, you know, when you go to a festival, you ever been to a music festival? Oh, man. Many, yeah. many of them. You know, when you meet you meet a hot girl at a music festival and you're like, it's like the middle of the day. And you have to like make it until nighttime with this girl. <laughs> and you you know you're gonna have to like pretend to be another person for like eight straight hours before you're gonna get laid. Well, the ecstasy no, always helps with that. No, ecstasy is great for this because it like just helps ease the ease the pain. But if you don't have ecstasy, you're fucked. Like you 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 just have to like you're just gonna have to pretend for so long. I get and, exactly what you mean. It's, and uh, and yeah. like it's like this anxious feeling. That's what working was like. I was I was like tr- having to pretend to be somebody else all fucking day. And I, you know, it was miserable. It was fucking pain all the time. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was just like, um, yeah, that was at a certain point. I just was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. And that was why I that came shortly after my friend Sean Monahan, who's been on this podcast uh published his piece on the vibe shift and and the way that like most of Sean's ideas they're kind of like genius but then they're sort of misinterpreted what what the vibe shift came to symbolize was the sort of like shifting of cool culture from left to right like ultra cool people started saying gay all suddenly all like all at once they were all like okay we're saying gay now again and so it stopped being woke woke became mainstream and being cool and edgy meant being like a little bit right wing. That was the vibe shift. And when the vibe shift happened, that was when I came out. I mean, the reason I really did it, I went to a, uh, I mean, I was dealing with getting fired basically from some other, yet another place. Um, But I went to a reading of delicious tacos 
You know, you know the list of titles. I went to a reading of his on a rooftop at the Ace Hotel here in downtown. And I'd done a bunch of readings with tacos before. And it was always just a bunch of dudes, you know, like no chicks. This reading had like 150 people at it and hot girls. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, what has happened? Like, literally, the vibe shifted. Like, cool people started listening to what we were doing. And that was when I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm done. Like, I'm done with the mainstream. I'm just going like straight into the fray, basically. Yeah. And that's when I wrote that article. Yeah. man, I remember that article came, I think, right off the back of the whole COVID thing. And I remember because it was, I think it was early 22 or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the date. But I remember reading it around that time or at least when I was still, you know, very much in my feelings about all that had happened uh, those couple of years prior. And, you know, I think it was very on point what you said about pretending to be someone else, because that really, really came, became apparent during COVID, didn't yeah. it? I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we share sort of the same vision and 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 I know we kind of experienced the same thing in the sense that, you know, we were completely alone with it all uh, in terms of, uh, you know, basically not giving a fuck and seeing it for what it is, a psyop. And um, um, so I think it was around then that I was feeling a little bit lonely, I guess. Uh, it was already the case when, you know, with, with sort of the, the rising of the whole woke culture thing. That was, that was already sort of, hmm, I don't like what's happening here. It's changing into something else. Um, and then we got COVID, which, which sort of amplified everything that was already, you know, already, you know, existing in terms of the whole woke thing, the whole, the whole, uh, all the themes that, that sort of are endlessly being repeated, like climate, diversity, inclusion, Me Too, etc., I felt like COVID was sort of the perfect, um, sort of the perfect TNT strapped onto it uh, to make that all that free floating anxiety that I was sensing uh, in the sort of in society, uh, you know, even worse, basically explode. And so that on top of that made me feel quite lonely. And I I remember reading your piece like, ah, there's not a guy who's basically feeling seeing the same as I'm seeing from a different perspective, different country. And then I was like, I mean, it was good because they want to make you feel alone, right? That's basically what this whole propaganda machine is trying to do. They want to make you feel alone. Yeah. And if, if you think that you are alone, you will not go against the narrative because that is not the way people usually survive or animals for that matter. So I think reading a piece like that and other things that sort of were were, were coming through the the Twitter verse when it was uh, when it was censored to, to death uh, really gave me some some more confidence I guess I'm not not ashamed to say so some more confidence to all oh, right I'm not that crazy there's people who see the world as I see it uh, also in advertising apparently um, and I guess that's when we started talking at some point and uh, and, and and all of that. But uh, that was a really that was a really good piece. It was important for me, I would say. Yeah. So uh, thanks for uh, for writing. Thanks, man. Yeah, I gotta I gotta do more uh, more writing. Um, yeah, gotta do a lot more writing. I totally, man. So where do you see all this going in Europe? You know, I mean, you're you're the ones who are dealing with this massive, endless influx of immigration. So. 
yeah. you know, what are your thoughts on that? And and where is uh, the European economy heading? I know you've said you hate the EU. So yeah. like, what do you mean by that? And, and where are things going in that direction? Well, you know, hate, yeah, definitely hate in the sense that, I mean, look, I, I'm a proponent of sovereign nation states, you know, whatever that means. Uh, but uh, so the EU has a long history, of course. It, it had uh, different shapes and sizes, uh, you know, throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the the decades. But the EU has basically become a uh, a a a, a neo communist construct of bureaucrats, uh, who are mostly unelected and who are, uh, you know, rapidly or or slowly but surely, uh, you know, taking away sovereignty of the nation states. And, you know, centralizing it and yeah. it's not a centralized. So, I mean, I don't have to explain to you a person who's very well read uh, when it comes to philosophy, different ideologies of the past, like what a massive centralization of power and wealth, uh, you know, means, you know, eventually it, it is a it is a new form of of collectivism, I would say it is it is it is, you know, some people call it the EUSSR, right, <laughs> yeah. as a play on words and you know, the danger in discussions with normies is always that if you point out the obvious parallels between, for example, the EU and the, and the USSR, that they always say, yeah, but listen, and you're free to say what you want, and there's no there's no working camps, and you won't get sent to Siberia. Doesn't have to be like that. I mean, I always say collectivism is a masterful shapeshifter, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, um, it, it the ideology is basically the same. The tools and the methods are just different. You know, it's, yeah. it's sort of, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a form of soft despotism and they don't need working camps in Siberia anymore. Why yeah. would they, you know, everything is connected. Everything is digital. And so, so we are racing very quickly to a, to a, what it has become a monstrosity of bureaucrats uh quickly uh you know uh usurping uh you know power and and wealth and the way they 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 centralize wealth is very simple back in 2001 we switched to the euro right yeah, so yeah. before before that we had we all had our own currency in dutch that was the golden <laughs> and um and um actually the dollar is named after a dutch piece of currency did you know that no what's it what is it what is it named after so when we had our own currency we had a, a coin called the rijksdaalder which was two two gulden 50 and daalder the word daalder is where dollar comes from ah interesting yeah. the yanks dollar it sounds like the yanks dollar <laughs> the yanks dollar <laughs> yeah well yeah maybe i don't know but uh also you know when you vote in congress you know the yay and the nay yeah that's Dutch, man. Yeah, like, that's, that's Dutch, right. Yeah, Dutch. So no, anyway. the Dutch have a huge impact on America. People people don't even know what Dutch is. I would say that the average American does not even know what a Dutch oh, person even is. <laughs> like, they, except they, for like, very cheap. Except yeah. for very cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but you know, you back back to the EU. So so then we got we switched to the euro, and that basically basically made it into a transfer union because the economy of northern northwestern European countries is completely different than that of, for example, the Mediterranean countries. Complete, completely different economic discipline. So, I mean, it's classic collectivism. It's it's classic communism, centralization of wealth. Yeah. And you read this and you redistribute it, and that's exactly what has been happening, you know, over the decades. 
And that is why we will be a very poor continent if the EU doesn't get abolished. And if we, if we, if we, if we don't, you know, uh, sort of break, break free from the change of our neocon American masters. I mean, it, that's just the way I see it. it. It's of course oversimplified as, as hell, but, um, you know, that, that is the gist of it. I would say, yeah, that is the gist of it. Anyway, you see it now, uh, with X, with Elon Musk. Uh, he's being, you know, openly called out by unelected bureaucrats from Brussels, from the EU, yeah, yeah. like that 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 idiot Thierry uh, Breton, who's in charge of the internal market for some reason. I I had never had the opp- opportunity to vote for him or against him. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But people like him are deciding what we cannot cannot see. So Elon Elon after he 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 lynched the ADL, or is that a sort of a too sensitive word? In that <laughs> it's okay. But, <laughs> but um, you know he's he's now sort of picking a fight with, uh, or they are picking a fight with Elon basically with the EU. And I I mean grab popcorn man because this is going to be very cool. And let me tell you something else, Isaac. I saw you tweet something. The other week about Elon Musk and that you that that you sort of compared some of the stuff he does with with being a hero and I completely agree with that I think it was with the ADL right that's what you said yes I did yeah, yeah I remember I agree talking with about. you I yeah. agree with you he doesn't have to do anything you know yeah yeah he doesn't yeah, have yeah. to do anything he can just run his companies or or do nothing he doesn't have to buy a platform to save free speech yeah. anyway um so that's what he did with the ADL but what I can see happening and this is in the context of what I said about the ideology is the same, but the methods change, is that when the the Berlin Wall fell, right? Um, it started with just a very simple glitch in the system, which was some sort of border post that was where, where some guy, some DDR police officer said, "You know what? You can pass through," and that made the whole uh, the the whole East West uh, you know separation crumble. I think that if Elon keeps up this fight with the EU and doesn't back down, doesn't give an inch about their sort of content enforcement policies, I think this could be the equivalent of the DDR border post incident in 1990. If you if you if you catch my drift. No, what is that? I I just told you Isaac man, come on pay attention. No. <laughs> So the the whole uh the whole uh what set off the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Right? was a very simple thing. It was just one one person, a border patrol agent, who said to people who wanted to cross from east to west, well, I'm not going to enforce this. You can just go. And that set off the crumbling of that entire system. Yeah. It's the tipping point. Yeah, the tipping point. Yeah, thank yeah. you for, for helping this uh, illiterate out with his English. You know, not a native speaker, but, uh, you know, try, I, I sh- trying my best. So I, I believe that... that so, so what the, what the EU did now, they implemented these dr- draconian censorship measures uh, for for content that that can or cannot be posted in the in the EU in the EU countries. And Twitter implemented all of these buttons. When you click on an X post, you see a pop up menu and you see EU illegal content or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where you can click. Wow. And they had to implement this whole system. And this has all been sort of the brainchild of the pathocrats, neocommunist yeah. cosplayers of the EU. Got so, it. and now they are actually trying to enforce this and call Elon out. So they're sending legal letters to X and all of that. And Elon went against that, you know, publicly, which is great. It's something I never saw before that, that someone did that. 
And um, well, that's a big tool of his, you know, so that you can always see. So he's really, really good at fighting these corporate fights. You right. can tell like that's that's why, you know, there's a book uh, zero to one Peter Thiel's book. So I, did Peter, read, I know of Peter Thiel, of course, but so Peter Thiel has a section in his book of zero to one where he talks about Elon Musk. And he says Elon Musk is like the greatest salesman he's ever met. Right. And it's true. Like Elon's very good at like business, which he the funny thing is he pretends like he's not. Teal also has a whole thing of that. He says the, the greatest salesman in every company is never called the salesman. You know, there's always some other name because you, that, that you can't be called a salesman or else people are immediately going to be yeah, I can see that. on their yeah. toes. Right. I mean, it's yeah. true of me. Like I'm the salesman of my company and I certainly don't call myself that. You same, know? Thing, like, same thing here. I, I'm the chief creative. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. But really, yeah. No. And dude, and actually more and more, I'm realizing that like the things I should offload are the creative, not the like sales stuff. But anyway, so um, he has a thing about Musk being this amazing salesman. And you can see a big thing that Musk understands is like pressure. He understands pressure and he understands yeah. how to put pressure on the right places to like get what he wants. And I think a big reason he bought, bought Twitter is because he has, a, what, 150 million followers I mean, like any time he is comes out publicly in some battle, it's such a forceful thing against his enemies. And mm -hmm. like, it's really great how he uses Twitter in that way, because he's fighting against these organizations who they survive based on lack of transparency. They survive because they're operating, as you're saying, undemocratically, you know, the ADL. Nobody fucking elected them. Nobody decided that they're like the mouthpiece for Jews. You know, like who's, I, at who's all. funding them? Who's funding well, them? so they get, you know, again, so much of this shit is, okay, so there's a few billionaires, right? I mean, there's Soros. Soros has his whole thing. But I would say places like the ADL, they get their money from like upper middle class American Jews who are, right. you know, they all came up in a certain way, right? Like they came up with a certain like milieu. Most of them are like the sun. So the Jewish diaspora occurred in like the 1900s, right? That was when almost all the Jews in America came here. There were some before, but most of them came then. So I am very typically the grandson of, of first generation diaspora Jews. So their parents, my grandfather's parents came here. They had him. He became a doctor. Very typical story. A bunch of money. And then he had a bunch of kids who then also became fucking doctors or lawyers or whatever. Ton of money. And then uh, they have me. I am not that because the my mother got it became a theater person, so the money all disappeared. But but uh, right, but you still but you still have the Ashkenazi uh, spatial right. reading. Uh, exactly, spatial I still reading, have the right? good IQ. Exactly. Yeah. So so um, but you're not doing anything with it. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fight. I'm doing the most Jewish thing you could possibly do, which is trying to destroy the <laughs> you know thing that gave birth to me. You know. Got it. <laughs> so so. Uh, uh, no, um, but anyway, so I would say that the ADL gets most of its funding from that group, like that group of diaspora, very successful American Jews who, you know, they're not like super elites, but they're like doctors and lawyers and shit. And they give a bunch of their money to the ADL for because they have this idea, like if we don't, 
you know, that we're going to get killed by somebody or other. Where really the reverse is true in that the ADL is the ones that's going to get us killed, which is the story of, you know, the Jews forever. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 complicated and a very sensitive topic, of course. I mean, we here, obviously, as you know, I mean, we, we went to World War uh, Two here. Yeah. Uh, yep. and, uh, you know, uh, you know, because there was a political conflict between the German government and the Dutch government. <laughs> no, that's from a <laughs> never mind. But, uh, <laughs> no, but obviously I'm laughing, but my, my family from my father's side, man, they were torn apart. And I, I have to say this could probably get me canceled, but I, I don't care. Uh, but uh you know, I, I have to say that these organizations like the ADL, and I think we have a counterpart here as well. I think I guess everybody, every country has it. Of those same people from that same milieu, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And it seems like they sort of claimed a monopoly on victimhood. Yes, it's so totally and it, true, man. And and they equate uh, being Jewish with being a victim, you know, they, so, you know, in, in Judaism, like the core story is the s escape from slavery in Egypt, right? So there's many ways you can interpret that story, but your average everyday, like Jew, who has, by the way, abandoned any actual belief, of course, of Judaism, you know, that they're just, they're totally secularized. Sure. But they they do Passover every year and they sit around and they talk about how Jews are the biggest victims and they've always been the biggest victims. They've been the biggest victims for 2000 years. Look at what happened in the desert. Oh, it's always like we're the chosen people and everybody hates us and blah, 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 blah. you know, and yeah, that's that's their attitude towards the world. Whereas the, the rabbis I deal with, the Chabad rabbis, they totally reject this this perception. They reject the idea that Jews are just victims forever, you know, it, it, which is, it's bullshit. No, nobody's a victim forever, you know? And, and really, which is it? So the Jews are strong enough to survive all this time yet. We're also the biggest victims. Like, no, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. That, that's always the thing, but would you agree like largely that, uh, that it's always a small minority who grabs the, the bullhorn and, um, and and doesn't really speak for uh, I mean not not just with Jewish people but basically any group. Well, it's the thing that I always say to anti Semites is the thing that like the real real genuine anti Semites, which I've had a lot of experience with. Um, I always say the thing that they interpret as Jewish conspiracy is actually Jewish chaos. <laughs> so so they think that like Jews are like all together and they're all like you know, like coordinating, but no, that could, that could not be for the Jews hate each other more than any other people. They're, they're, they're the most like actively separated people of any, you know? And that's why historically they can't field an army. You know, we can't field an army. We can't field a country before Israel uh, because we can't fucking stick together for five seconds without without immediately separating and you know blah 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 so really th that's what i want to say to people who like when you actually see the shit up close there is very little cohesion in the jewish community community there's actually right. much more in others right uh, okay i could see that but then of course uh you know like lex fritman always says let's round about him a little bit by the way later but <laughs> definitely he... a Mossad asset by the way yeah but, yeah, yeah. He's a plant, right? Where did he oh, come absolutely, from? Absolutely, absolutely. He's man, totally I, fake. He's a complete fake. Listen, I can't stand that fucking guy, man. I don't. I. I mean, 
like there's always like I try to be sort of a stoic, you know, in my daily life, try not to get, you know, uh, too too annoyed or too, you know, riled up by people or celebrities for that matter. But there's I think there's you can have one joker, joker, like one one person that you can go all out on. And for me, I chose Lex Fritman because I just can't stand that. That dude, yeah. where did he come from? What's his appeal? <laughs> you know, his, his, his sort of MIT history is very questionable, you know, because he always flaunts that, right? But where you do you think he's like a a, a plant, like a construct? Yeah, or something? I do. I think wow. he's definitely a construct. I think he's. Uh, I think yeah. I think it's obvious. I think he's obviously a. You I know, see. I mean, look see. again. Can like talk- here, here's here's just what I. It's like people think that there is this Jewish conspiracy of we're all sitting around voting on who's going to be our, you know, plant in something or like Epstein, right? Who is obviously working for the Mossad, right? I mean, there's, yeah. it's very obvious. Yeah. Uh, no, these are just it's like the ADL. The ADL is just saying they're doing it on behalf of Judaism, but they're not doing it on behalf of Judaism. They're just sure. saying oh. that, you know what I mean? Like they're they're just exercising power on behalf of this group that is totally unelected. No one has any association with them. I've never heard shit from the ADL. I don't, I've known nothing about them. I don't do anything with them, but they have positioned themselves in a way where they get to do this. Same thing with Epstein, same thing with people like Lex Friedman who are clearly the product of some project, right? That is either involved, you know, is it Israel? Is it some private organization? You never know. You never know. But it's all people who, like George Soros, are sitting around thinking, if I don't do this, it's an existential threat for the Jews, right? If I don't do this, uh, the alternative is Hitler, right? That's what they think. But in reality, in reality, it's the exact opposite of that. But wait, wait, what? Can we talk about love now, Isaac? Yeah, yes, sorry. Go ahead. Your can love you, of black you, women. We should return to this. <laughs> can, you, can you still make the case that there is a Jewish conspiracy? What? Can you still make the case that there is? That's steel what. Man, what phrase. is steel man, man? I don't know. Ask, ask, he he always uses the phrase like, "Can you steel man the case?" Like like Where's for example. Steel man? Hey man, that's literally what he always says. He says, "Can you steel man the case?" But what does that a, mean? I don't know what I don't, it's like play, playing devil's advocate. Or oh, something. make it so that there is one. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, probably. sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, of course. You are could you say, involved? Are you involved? Is all yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. You could no. You could say like. Uh, so when I went on this Nazi podcast, I had no idea what I was getting involved in. By the way, I did this like in a journalistic capacity, but I went on there as a Jew. And I talked to them and it was really good because I learned like actually what these guys really believe. And I was very surprised about it. And at one point on there, they were like, yeah, no, we know for a fact that you all received the same pamphlets and the same materials from when you're a little kid, which, you know, I I was when I heard it, I was like, what? Like, I've never received any pamphlet. I don't know what you're talking about. But in reality, I did go on birthright, right? I mean, like, like we do get that. I never received any pamphlet, but I heard about it. And, you know, it's something you can do. And you go there, you interact with other Jews, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you, man, like birthright does not look like what people think it looks like. It's not a bunch of fucking like rich Jews. Birthright, there are so many fucking Jews and who are completely disconnected from Judaism. You know, they live in Tennessee or some shit. You know, they're barely Jewish in any way. Like, it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. 
Yeah, sure, but it's it's the same for a lot of Christians, of course, who are completely right. secular as well, and 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 you know, only celebrate Christmas, you know. But uh, right, 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 right. So, so what is true of the rumor that uh, all Jewish people have like a bag of a little bag of gold <laughs> for their shirt? Well, that's you... definitely true. I mean, come on, well, who doesn't yeah. have the bag of gold? Oh, no. South, South I don't Park. have a bag of gold, sadly. No, I didn't get any of the fucking good shit, man. I mean, I got. You know, I have a few like elite type people that married into my family, but I, I was always I was never included in any of this shit, dude. I was I was always a complete outsider. Yeah, never right. any fucking privilege from being Jewish. Like actually, the only privilege I get from being Jewish is now. Yeah, because yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, well, no, no, I mean right. Besides genetically, but but yeah. you know the the only privilege is now where I get to say shit that other people can't say. You know, like I right. I get away with shit that. If I wasn't Jewish, I could never say, yeah. you know, so anyway, all right, let's go back to, let's go back to marketing. Should we talk about marketing? Yeah. We don't have to so, talk about so, so much fun, marketing is fucking boring. It's like the most boring fucking topic. It is. It really is, man. Let's, uh, yeah. let's, let's do something else. <clears throat> Who's going to be the next president of the U S um, I think it might actually be Trump. You know, I think it might actually be Trump. I, oh, I, I just cannot believe that it's going to be Gavin Newsom. I don't think Gavin Newsom can win. I, I think he's too unlikable. You know, he's just too unlikable. But did he even did he even tell tell the people that he would run? No, he know. says so far he's saying he's not. But uh, American psycho. Well, you know his story, right? You know Newsom's story. No, man. I mean, uh, I no, no, not really. I just so, know he's a slick dude. He's a good communicator, I must say. He's, no, he he's, is. He's, yeah. he's but that's exactly why he can't win, because he's too. Democrats need you to like they, they're so woke now, like they need you to be like handicapped or something. You know, they like there's no way if you're just like a good looking, good communicating white guy. Forget about it. I mean, like 30. Oh, yeah. No. You're, you've already lost 30 percent just out of the gate. Right. Then beyond that, uh, okay, so you know his, how he came up. He is basically a Manchurian candidate of the Getty family. So when he was a young, he went to school or something or somehow became best friends with like the, the scion, the, the heir of the Getty family. The Getty family is like the California oil family. They, they like built half of California. And he's basically a like a sponsored candidate of that family. And he has been his entire life. And, you know, he came up mayor of San Francisco. He's, he's part of the whole like Pelosi, Kamala Harris, California wing of the democratic party that crazily somehow took power. Like yep. that wing of the Dems is the most political force in the world. And it's really weird because nobody thought they would be like, they, it, they kind of like, they kind of like snaked their way up, you know, right. and the, but the thing is, everybody fucking hates these people. Look at Kamala Harris's. Have you ever seen Kamala Harris's poll numbers? Right. It's like one percent. Like no one votes for these people. No but, one likes these people. And I think the Newsom's the same. Yeah. But explain this to me. Like when every when if everybody hates them. Right. Why do people vote for them? Well, they don't on a national level. They do in California because people are fucking like so stupid here and they just have like a lock on the I don't know how they do it, but they have some they have some way of getting their way on every single election 
here, but on a national level, they are utterly unappealing. Nobody likes them. And I think that Newsom will have the same thing. I think he's going to get in front of people. He's going to do that kind of slimy, like, you know, thing he does. And I just don't think left wing people are going to, they're not going to, it's not going to work for them. You know, did they call him like hair gel Hitler during COVID? Yeah, dude, he's too good. Like he's too, first of all, the things he says makes no sense. So anybody who's smart is going to be pissed off because He's saying things that are obviously false, but he's saying it in this kind of like, oh, come on, man. Come on. Like he's saying it in this like kind yeah, of like way. So I don't also know. like to be deceived, right? They like to be manipulated. It's much easier than uh, than just thinking for yourself. That's that's also a thing. Well, right. But that's why like Biden kind of worked and Newsom won't because like. People are so dumb, like. I just think Biden was perfect because he was like, just vote against Trump. Right. It was just like, just oh, yeah. go out and vote against Trump. It doesn't yeah, matter who this guy is. He's yeah. old. He doesn't offend anybody. He's the most bland guy oh, in the world. What? What? Yeah. what? No, he's a he's a vile. I, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty good at reading, you know, what you have an IQ from your Ask. Uh, ask <laughs> I have an EQ, I, I would say. So I always look at people and just the, the way their eyes move. Uh, you know that their facial expressions, their tone of voice—it's something I I have been doing since I was since I can remember. Yeah, you know this whole time in this podcast, I've been psychoanalyzing you as well, Isaac. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, great, uh, great. No, but I think Biden—you know—also seeing him and seeing footage of him from the past and when I saw him back then, just a very vile. You know, he's he's very he's very. How do you say that? He's 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 just not. A, I don't think he's a good human. You know, by any yeah. by any measure. And this so goes, who who do you like? Who do you like? Do you like Trump? I, I I think Trump is 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 funny and uh, and I I mean he's really funny, right? I mean, I, yeah, he's a uh, he's quite the character. Look, listen, let me tell you something, and this is sort of a development I have uh, sort of been in. I trust any politician or every politician as far as I can throw them, and that's just basic rule of me going through life. You know, right now. I trust any politician, you know, as far as I control them, literally, because they're politicians. And the thing is, you know, I think Andrew Breitbart, right? You know, you know of him. He, he yeah. once said, like, politics runs downstream from yeah. culture. Yeah, of course. So this is what I would focus on, uh, you know, more. I, I, I'm interested in the development of the culture, which is something that has, uh, you know, um, you know, it, it doesn't look good, but there's also glimmers of hope. Um, but you know, basically whatever the culture is, uh, leaning towards, that's what, what you get for elected politicians. And it, it's simple as yeah. that. If you have a weak culture, um, you know, people, people will vote for, uh, for politicians who kind of reflect that. And, yeah. uh, so, but, uh, so, but the only politicians that I could like are those who are not really politicians. So are not career politicians who have been like in the political game for 50 years doing nothing yeah. but being fucking bureaucrats and somehow magically tripling or, 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 you know, going X10 on their net worth on a, on a salary of a, you know, a parliament member or a, you know, or a Senator. I mean, how does that happen? Right. Uh, so, um, I'm gay for uh, Vivek a little bit uh, when it comes to the U.S. Uh, because he's not a politician and I know he's a billionaire and he made his money doing pharma and that's fine with me because at least I know 
a little bit about that world. And you how mean Vivek? Sorry, Vivek. Yeah, I think yeah. you pronounce it Vivek. Yeah, I'm a little bit gay for him, uh, Isaac. <laughs> a little bit. Because he's just such an excellent communicator, but also because he is actually a proven man of excellence. You know, it, whether you feel like Big Pharma is immoral, which, which I have an opinion about as well, but he, at least from him, I know that he is a, a person of excellence. He actually did stuff. He did stuff at scale and was very successful. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, like I read his book. You know, here's what irritates me. About, like, look, everything that Vivek is saying is I completely agree with. And, and, you know, even in his book, there are moments like I read his book and I read Chris Rufo's book. Chris Rufo's book to me was just a fucking bore. It was just like, okay, I fucking get it already. You know, it's like, I, you know, we know all these things. Oh, nice. We got to get you some Hestias. Yeah. I um, listen. Yeah. You know, like we already know all this fucking shit. Like, you know, it was just like so wonky. I just didn't care. Whereas Vivek's book contains like real emotion in it. You know, I mean, he has this whole thing in there where he talks about how capitalism basically destroyed the caste system in in India and it like destroyed like families it basically like, destroyed the family structure in India and i thought that was really like admirable that he like went there and you know understood that um but he's a fucking ivy league diversity hire you know i mean like he's he is globalism like he is so obviously globalism you know what i mean like he has oh, no like everything is him is oh it's a meritocracy and it's a blah 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 and it's like all right man like I I get that to a degree but America is more this is what I think is great about Trump he understands that America is more than just a bunch of rules you know this is a history it's a people it's a you know of course we accept other people here but for Vivek to come in and be like. I'm the ultimate American. It's just like, I mean, come on, you know, it, well, it, I mean, it just I, feels like to, phony to me. You know, I, I'm I going to know. steal man. I'm going to steal man. The case steel man, steel man. Is that even a phrase or did Fritman just make that up? See, that's maybe, a lot of, maybe lot of steel man is the opposite of straw man probably. I, right. I, but I don't know I, what that really means. Probably an MIT inside joke or something. I don't know. We're too stupid for that probably. But, um, yeah, no. So uh, to my understanding, you know, and I have a, don't have a bone to pick because I'm, I don't live in America. Right. But his parents came in to the U.S. So he's second generation and they they had no money. They, so they came from a very he comes from a very simple background and he was very smart. He was Ivy League. That's true. But what I like about him is that he appears to be very grateful for the country that he. Uh, yeah, no, he is. He is. Yeah. That's, that's very true. I can't, I can't argue with that. The only thing that I don't trust him in is because he's a vegetarian. And I know this is all a very cultural thing where he comes from and stuff. I think it's, it comes with the culture a little bit, but I don't trust a person who doesn't eat a piece of steak. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's no, that's not going to fly. But and also, you know, but when it comes to Trump, you know, yeah. I get your point, but what I, he was like a Pfizer poster boy during COVID. And I, I have a very hard time just forgetting that. Yeah. Yeah. They, I have a very hard time. Yeah. It's like the guy came up in pharma. I mean, it's so, I don't know. Like I, oh, I'm, talking I, about Trump. I I'm talking about Trump. Oh, was, oh, oh. You, Trump you mean was, you don't forget what he did about COVID? Oh no, 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 no. He, he, he pushed the vaccine like, yeah. like, like, like no other. 
I pushed the vaccine. It's a tremendous vaccine. It's an amazing vaccine. Trump, I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's that's a little more forgivable because obviously, you know, he's gone back on that. So, Did he? I mean, like a guy like Trump is very, um, you know, uh, a, a guy like Trump is very, like that whole generation, they still have this sort of blind faith in medicine. You know, they, they right. still believe that because for the, it's, they still think that that field can't be so sinister as it is, but it oh. obviously is sinister. They just haven't caught up to that yet. It's very boomer, you know, boomers, like hmm. they just, they have this weird, uh, you know, like. I, I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. You get my point. Yeah, I, I get no. your point. Okay, fair enough. I will, I will, I will consider it. But yeah, now it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a very interesting time. The elections are in November next year. Uh, is, is it next year? God, I can't even. I think so. Track. Yeah, it's got to be right. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, is it? It's got to be next year. Wow, it's only a year away. Jeez. Or, so you. Will I don't know what's going to happen, man. It's going to be really weird. I don't have any clear sense. I totally predicted Trump twenty sixteen. I like utterly called it. Yeah. Oh man. People were so mad, dude. I lost like 80% of the people in my life from that. And then, and then uh, COVID was the remaining 20. So how did you you deal with that, Isaac? Because I know you have a young family, you know, uh, you have a lot. Well, I didn't have a young family then, but. um, Oh, you didn't? No, no. I didn't have a kid then yet. You know, I mean, we we weren't married. Um, it was bad. It sucked. It definitely fucking sucked. I mean, I remember that time so vividly. It was, it was a very interesting time. I mean, it was a good time in my life is the thing. Um, I remember the night he got elected. I was so happy. (laughs) I was just like, so I was sitting there being like, damn, like I fucking knew it. I knew it. And I knew the whole world was about to change. You know, everybody was sobbing and freaking out. And, uh, you know, people from my law school, because I'd come out as pro-Trump people. And 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 I said, he's going to win. I said, I know he's going to win. Everybody was like, you're fucking crazy. Um, <clears throat> Everybody from my law school the day after <laughs> wrote like a thread. And it was just like, fuck you, Isaac. Fuck you, Isaac. Fuck you, Isaac. Fuck you, Isaac. Isaac. Like, like, Isaac. like a hundred, like every person in my law school wrote, fuck you, so, Isaac. So inclusive. So yeah. inclusive. Yeah. And uh, because they were just so angry, you know, after Trump, you forget people were so crazy mad, like they they couldn't yes. deal with it. They could not fucking handle it. And so I had, you know, family members were, you know, it was pretty much the end of my life as it was up until then. And, you know, then you had to then but then it took a long time for me to just accept it. You know, it took me four or five years to just stop caring and be like, Oh, well, fuck all these people anyway. You know, I don't care. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. I but mean, that's the thing, right? That, that's what I said in the beginning. Like they want you to feel alone. They want you to think you're alone, but you know, as you have yes, experienced, exactly. well, yes. yeah, you know, probably with the group that, that we have as well, you know, that the people that we, that we're in the, in the group chat with and all of that, you know, there's always people who who sort of view the world the same as you do, at least you know on on the most important uh, on the most important topics. You know, you can always find a, a new hurt or a new or a new home. But for me, that also took a while. And, yeah, you know, I must you got to give give credit to you know the digital world, right? Yeah, it, it, the opportunity to to not be alone anymore uh, in some in some real sense. 
And uh, so how did that go for you? I mean, what's your story? Because obviously you didn't have Trump there. So what was your path? We had another guy who got uh, who got yeah. who got uh, who got uh, slandered and uh, and canceled. But you know, again, uh, so how did that go for for me? Well, look, obviously here in 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 Western Europe, uh, things have been changing a lot. You know, I, I was born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties. It was such a beautiful time, man. I, that was like the sweet spot, right? Yeah, wasn't it? It was the peak. Like, the 90s were the peak, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everything was fine. And, you know, for me, it has always been a mixed bag because I'm, I'm a creative myself. So I, I always, I think I told you this before, I always uh, enjoyed being in a sort of a, an eclectic, you know, company, you know, with a lot of different people, with creatives. You know, we have a huge gay scene here, which is more like the traditional gay scene. So no matter how you feel about it morally or from a religious point of view, and, and I, I have some views on that as well, you know, I, I've always went very well with, with creatives and artists. And, 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 and the thing is that those people are mostly left-leaning, right? They see the world from a, from a leftist point of view. Uh, I am different uh, in that. I, I see the, the, the world more from an absolute truth standpoint. And I've kind of evolved in that, you could say, a little bit more conservative. So mm -hmm. as long as I stay away from these topics where people go completely insane all of a sudden, like they can't handle a nuanced discussion about any topic. But as, as long as I stay away from it, I actually get along very well with people who are more from the left side of, of, of the, of the yeah. spectrum, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which has always been a, a very weird mix. I, I, I've always been very open to, to basically everyone. Well, we talked about open to different cultures and ethnicities, but uh, that, that, that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, it's not limited to women alone. I've, I've always had a very open mind. Uh, I would say even the, quite a fluid character. You know, I'm a, I'm a man, but I, I've also ha I also have female straight. I like to care for people when I have guests, etc. I'm very big on that. Yeah, but my worldview fundamentally doesn't is not compatible with you know on a deeper level with those people most of the time. And I'm open to that. I'm willing to accept those differences. But what I've experienced in the, in the past years is that they are not. That I am, I am basically more tolerant than 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 the other side, and that is yeah. frustrating because it really costs me friendships. Yeah. But at the same time, I also do not want to bite my tongue all the time. So that has been a very delicate balance uh, that has become better in in the past years because you grow older and you get a bit more patient and you get a bit more you kind of pick your battles, I would say. But, um, you know, being a pure ENTP character type, which is like the debater type, I mean, it's very oh, yes. hard. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, man, it's very hard. Like, my nature is to debate and discuss. Well, but so have you lost actual people in your life from this in the Netherlands? Yes. You have, yeah. I have uh, explicitly and implicitly, pro probably more implicitly. You know how that goes when you know that there's a disconnect between you and a group or you and someone else? And and you just drift drift away from yeah, each other. Yeah, well, well, right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's natural, right? I, I think everybody has that in some degree. I mean, do you have 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 people have you said anything or done anything that have gotten people to like be like this guy's bad? I mean, I don't know what it's like in the Netherlands. I don't know if it's like people in the Netherlands are generally much more rational than Americans, yeah. right? I mean, like. Uh, yeah, that, that's 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 a good question. I mean, things are definitely polarizing here as well, and have been. You know, the, the things are happening in Western Europe. I mean, we just tolerate them for the sake of just being able to live a life. But when you see the indoctrination at schools with with children, 
you know, very young children. When you see like the pamphlets and the billboards here, you know, I, I don't want to get too graphic or explicit, but it's pretty extreme, man. It's pretty extreme. It's it's, it's a long way from the 90s and the early 2000s. Let, let's put it at that. Yeah. You know, um, so, um, yeah, as you know, I live in Amsterdam. And one of the reasons I love Amsterdam is because there's so much energy, energy and creativity. Uh, but at the, at the same time, there's also a lot of woke mind virus, uh, you know, uh, being rampant, rampant. So um, I try to just, uh, you know, inhale the good, good stuff and sort of, you know, uh, uh, try not to uh, get too much involved with the bad stuff, uh, yeah. which is certainly there. I mean, look, um, the, 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 the Netherlands and Western Europe is sort of famous for the tolerance, right? And the sexual revolution and all of that yeah. and, you know, no limits. And I think to some extent you could make a case that that, that was a good thing. Uh, but I think we are now experiencing the downside of that. Yeah, I think that that's true of true of everywhere, right? Yeah, society is getting 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 weaker. There's there's not a lot of cohesion anymore. I would say. Um, so we'll see where that ends. I mean, it's always hard for me. I like to draw parallels with with uh, you know civilizations of the past. You know, the Roman Empire is of course an obvious example. A lot of people draw comparisons to that. Are we at the end of a of our civilization cycle? Um, could be, I don't know. Uh, will it take uh, 10 years before to collapse or something bad or drastic to happen and then we can rebuild? Or will it take 100 years? Uh, I, I don't know. I always have trouble sort of estimating where we are on that scale, on that on that cycle. Uh, what do you think from your perspective in America? Like, is this the end and does something no, I don't think it's happen? I, I think that right now we're in like a dip you know, it takes a long time to get to the end, man. It takes a long time. It's not going to yeah. be this abrupt. I, I think we're in like a, a big valley that is going to be the, you know, it's going to go like up, down, up, down. Right. We, we've started the overall descent to, to death, but yeah. we're not, <laughs> we're still a long way from actual death, right? I mean, I think, I think the Western world will, you know, once we get these fucking, as you said, these fucking unelected communists, middle managers out of power, which we will, I really do think we will. Yeah. I mean, look, Trump is the natural president of the United States, right? I mean, it's like whether or not they cheated, I, I don't I don't think they actually cheated. I think they basically just like changed all the rules because of COVID at the last minute. And, you know, generally that favors the Democrats. So sure. I think that you know, they changed the rules They and they admittedly fortified the election so that Trump would lose. Trump really, in terms of the way democracy works, should be the president, right? The, Bolsonaro should be the president of, totally, of, of uh, Brazil. Yep. It, you know, the, the bureaucratic state is forced, is they're trying to fight back against this populist thing, but th what are the, they're, it's only going to get worse and worse. It's not going to like, they're not going to figure it out, right? So they will eventually get pushed out. And I think that when they get pushed out, these fucking communists, we will have another period of flourishing. You know, it's not over yet. You know, we'll probably end up building walls, you know, I mean, unfortunately. But at what cost, man? That's I I, I, I agree with you. I mean, and it's a, it's a message of hope, I would say. And I, I can see that. I can see that here as well in Europe. You see some glimmers of hope. Um, uh, but, uh, at what cost, man, 
I mean, th that's that's the question. When you look in, at Europe, we are basically, I'm not complaining, right? So we are still relatively wealthy and we're good. I'm not complaining about my own life or anything like that. Not at all. Yeah. But I'm looking at the, the bigger picture and sort of a little bit further into the future, man. And that brings me back to the point of, for example, deindustrialization. Like Europe yeah. is really on track to to become a, a a poor or a poorer continent. I mean that that is that's hard to believe because we have everything here and it's also wealthy and we're, we are being pushed into poverty, like for real. And yeah. and even if there's like an, an, an a, you know an uplift of of something that is more human, you know, pro-human, I would say uh the, the damage that has been done like underneath the surface like the, the 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 rotten foundation that will take so much time to 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 recover so yeah so that makes me sad a little bit when i think of that uh you know on the other hand you know humans are very flexible uh, the velocity of money and information is is higher than it ever was so that makes it very Hard to draw comparisons, you know, historically when we didn't have this, this, these, these digital, this digital connection. Yeah. So it's it's a very. We will have a very interesting decade ahead of us. That's that's for sure. Like very interesting. Yeah, I agree. After, man. after like eighty years of fairly smooth sailing. Yeah. No, it's yeah. going to be a right. It's going to be an interesting. Uh, I mean, and that's exciting. You know, it's we're really in like uncharted waters. Um, all right, man. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for coming. I will put, of course, the um, all of your links in the um, bio or in the sorry, the description. And yeah, I mean, anybody who is interested in marketing at all, I mean, you're a real pro and uh, particularly industrial and particularly reindustrialization of, of uh, Europe, which is such a fascinating topic. Uh, yeah, definitely man. check out Ian. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. We haven't even talked about Gio Scotty. Yeah, no, we we have no time. I have a. I have thanks, a thanks, Isaac. I pre I appreciate it. I appreciate right. you. All right, man. I'll talk to you.